1: Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdall. My guest this week is Kwame Christian. Kwame is the Director of American Negotiation Institute, Business Lawyer at Carlisle Patch and Murphy, LinkedIn Learning Instructor, and he's also the host of the world's most popular negotiation podcast, Negotiate Anything. Kwame, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast.
0: Nick, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so one question I ask everybody, and, and just to know a little bit about who you are, and, and maybe even some of your friends might not know. But what's one thing people might not know about Kwame?
0: Um, so one thing is uh, my favorite mispronunciation of my name is Kwame. <laughs> so well, Kwame. Yeah, it's hilarious. And so we, I got it so much when I first started college that my close friends, that, was, that became my nickname. Quame became my nickname for my close friends. So it's so it's like only people who don't know me at all call me Quame, and people who really, 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 really know me well. <laughs>
1: but the people in the middle, the people in the middle, actually enunciate your name correctly.
0: Kwame. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's funny. So
1: I read your book, man. Uh, confidence, or finding confidence in conflict, and. Uh, I, I don't know. We're on video now, and you can see me. But uh-huh. there, there may or may not be. I think the 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 book itself is maybe forty percent thicker due to the dog ears that I got on this thing. So, awesome. I, I I learned a lot, and I have a ton of questions. But I'm obviously not going to be able to get through all of those questions, or else it's just going to be this 27, 24 hour bender that we're going to go on. <laughs> so let me let me start with a few, and see where it goes. Perfect. The first question I have is, what is compassionate curiosity?
0: So this is a framework I developed for having these difficult conversations, and it's designed to be flexible, so you can use it at work and at home.
1: Mm-hmm. So the
0: framework is, first, you acknowledge and validate emotions. Second, you get curious with compassion. And third, joint problem solving. And the beauty of it is that it helps you to know what to say and when to say it. So if there's an emotional challenge, you know that you need to acknowledge and validate emotions. Mm. Um, If if you're past that, curiosity is the next step. You need to learn more, ask open-ended questions, but with a compassionate tone. And then once you have all that information, there's no emotional challenge at hand at that moment, then you can go to joint problem solving where we're trying to solve the problem together.
1: And so when it comes to having conflict, Why are so many people trying to avoid it? And why do they struggle with it?
0: Because it's uncomfortable. (laughs) It's very uncomfortable. And different people have different fears, right? And so some people have the fear of rejection. They don't want to put themselves out there because they're afraid of being rejected. Some people are people pleasers. And so they value the relationship and they're afraid of losing the relationship. That's the genesis of their fear. Some people it's trauma in the past that they've had. They've had conversations that have gone so poorly that they say, I'm not, I'm not gonna risk it. But and, and you, as you know, in the book, what I do is I help people explore what their unique barriers are because it doesn't make sense to give recipes to people who are afraid to get in the kitchen. I can give you all the negotiation techniques under the sun, but if you're not confident enough to use it, then you won't use it. So that's why we have to start with the confidence piece. But I think those are the real reasons why people are afraid.
1: And when you were younger, before you were this world-class uh, expert, what, what was your struggle?
0: So I was a people pleaser. And I I say, I'm in recovery now. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And uh, because of my childhood, I was always afraid of losing the friends that I had. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: um, that carried, that stayed with me through my early adulthood. And then it was through my love of psychology, my undergrad degrees in psychology, and then my discovery of negotiation that I learned that you can learn this skill and you can use it to improve your life. And so my motto is the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And so what I try to do now is help people to make these difficult conversations easier.
1: And so you kind of touched on a little bit, but why should people engage in those difficult conversations?
0: Well, Nick, if you think about it, you think about like the most impactful things that have happened in your life. Most likely somewhere in the vicinity of that, that occurrence, there was a difficult conversation. And so what we're recognizing is that our quality of life, the quality of our career, to a large extent, is going to be dictated by how well or how poorly we do in these difficult conversations. And so it's, it's really one of those hidden tools that can help to elevate your life if you just lean into it and learn to have these conversations.
1: It's interesting because, and, and I want to ask this next question, but every time that there's a big time or a big conversation, if it's, hey, I'm, I'm asking for a raise or, uh, hey, I'm going to go to a new, uh, I'm deciding to take my, my job and I'm going go to go to a different company. It's a difficult conversation, even though you're excited about that next opportunity. But how can my listeners take action despite feeling that they're going to fail?
0: Well, what we have to do is we need to start to use the framework. And so one of the things that I talk about is developing a series of unnatural responses to, to these natural situations. Because it's not natural for you to be afraid and say, oh, let me talk about that thing, right? That's not a normal human thing to do. And so what we need to do is recognize that in our everyday lives, we're gonna be presented with opportunities to have these conversations. And so we have to do, develop that habit of engagement. All right, here's an opportunity to have a difficult conversation. I'm going to have it. I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna have it. Then when the, the big ones come up, You're battle tested. You're ready. It feels more natural to you because you've been doing it over and over again. And so I think what we can do is turn these everyday conversations into practice opportunities because they really are. And um, I have a five-year-old son. I'm married. I (laughs) I practice the framework with them, practice it with my clients, opposing counsel. And of course, in the negotiation trainings we do with the American Negotiation Institute. So I think what we have to do is make it a, a way of life. There's no way around it. If you want to get better, you have to practice.
1: How often does your son or your wife use it back on you?
0: Ah, it's funny. Um, pretty often. Kai is now, <laughs> he is. He is he is a natural negotiator. Unlike me, he is a natural at it. So I just need to keep that going. Um, with Whitney, Whitney uses her leverage. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> the example is, uh, I was content with one son. Uh, Whitney did not want one, she said. We had at least two, maybe three. And so I held out for a while, but her negotiation skills reign ran, ran supreme. And um, yeah, so now we have another one on the way. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, we're all negotiating all the time, um, but some people have some built-in advantages that they that they lean on <laughs> in order to get what they want.
1: That's funny. And congratulations.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: So back to that last question in the book, you talked about the question when, when you get to a moment and you feel very uncomfortable, the question that you ask yourself or that you you recommend is, will I regret it if I don't take this opportunity? Why is that important?
0: What happens when you ask yourself that regret question is this? You can't determine regret in the present, right? Because we're, we're too surrounded with what's happening. We don't have the appropriate perspective. But you can assess pers- uh, regret retroactively. And so it's a mental exercise that helps you to see things from a different perspective. And so if we think about it from 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, something like that, we look back. Now we're looking at this incident a little bit differently. We're seeing that it's relatively small in the context of the rest of our life. And I'm not saying small in that it is unimportant. It's small in that the consequences for failure or success will not sink you completely. Right? When in the moment, it feels like my life is going to (laughs) end. if I do not get this job right now, right? And so then it gives you that perspective. And then you say, all right, what is the decision that I will respect the most at this later stage in my life? That's really how we determine the quality of our life, right? Because when you look back and you say, oh, how was my day? You think about it from that present perspective looking backwards. And yes, we might've had difficulties during the day, but it's always the backward looking perspective that reigns supreme, right? And think about it for parents. Parents have, um, it's tough raising kids. It's really tough. And, you know, when a baby is, uh, um, you know, throwing up, crying, and all that stuff, they're not happy at that moment. But then if you ask a parent, hey, what do you think about those early years? Hey, it was tough, but it was worth it. I'm glad. I was happy Mm -hmm. then, right? And so what I want people to do is take a more nuanced approach to the evaluation of these conversations. When you think about it from 10 years down the road, you're incorporating a more, a a wiser perspective and you can make better decisions in the moments when you can take a step back.
1: It's interesting. I see a parallel because um, in college, in athletics, just in general, there's a lot of people that try to visualize the event prior to it happening, which seems like it's similar that, that it is today because, or that, that you're just talking about, because if you can visualize where you're at in the race or where you're at, uh, halfway during, during halftime or what the field looks like and smells like and interacts with, you can, when you get to game time, it feels familiar. So it seems like it's very similar uh, system that you're kind of going through.
0: Absolutely. Remember, my my base is psychology. And so I remember in my sports psych class, they talked about the importance of visualization. I incorporated that with my TED Talk. I would visualize that every night. And um, it really, really helps. And so I, I think about ourselves as professionals in our careers, just the way professional athletes think about themselves. But what's really interesting is that I recognize that professional athletes take their development a lot more seriously than professionals in other realms, professional lawyers, professional doctors, all those things. Hey, I graduated from school, passed my big test. Now I'm just going to be a doctor and I will incrementally get better every single year until I die. (laughs) But with a professional athlete, they're trying to make massive gains in their skills every single day and so I think about it with uh, your negotiations you if it's a big conversation like you said take time to visualize it that's great even better take the time to actually prepare by going back and forth in a role play with another person first you play the the role of the other person right so nick if i'm if i have a big negotiation with you i'm going to talk to let's say whitney i'm going to say okay here's the negotiation here's the situation i'm going to play the role of nick you be me whitney And so then it helps me to empathize with you better during the conversation because I've actually had a rep from your perspective. Then the second role play, I do it from my own perspective. So that gives me another rep. And then I visualize at night. So by the time I actually have the conversation, I'm there. And then after the conversation, replay the tape, just like an athlete. We're going to review the tape. What did I do well? What did I do poorly? And then we're going to improve incrementally every interaction from there on.
1: It's fascinating. You mentioned that, Elite athletes do the the visualization. They try to make massive gains. Why is that not the same in a professional setting of business?
0: I think a couple things. First, it's expectation. You're expected as an athlete to to work hard in in that specific way. So there's not that same expectation. Also, there is a status symbol today of busyness. Busyness oh, how busy are you? Oh, man, I'm so busy. Okay, how's your day going? Oh, I'm even busier than that, right? It's like (laughs) we're trying to one-up each other in terms of how busy we are, right? I just don't have time. And we convince ourselves so often that we don't have time for these fundamental aspects of our roles. And when you think about negotiation, I think about it as... um, Any conversation where somebody in the conversation wants something. So we're negotiating every day. And we're recognizing that negotiation is one of the most important aspects of all of our careers, no matter what it is. We have to have these conversations, but we don't practice this skill. We don't practice this skill. We don't practice other fundamental skills the same way. So I just encourage people to think of themselves more in that athletic type of way. What can I do every day to to sharpen the sword so I can be better for the next one?
1: I love it. So back to conflict, is, is the goal of conflict agreement?
0: No. So the goal of conflict is progress, I would say. You know, I think um, conflict is an opportunity. Above all else, conflict is an opportunity. And so Why is that? We, because there's an opportunity for change. It's a signal. Something is potentially wrong. So we're going to investigate to see whether or not there is, in fact, a problem. There might not be. There might not be. So, okay, well, that's fine. At least I took this opportunity to learn. And probably through that prospect, for the through that process, the person I was talking to felt respected, like, oh wow, Nick actually cares enough to check in to see if I'm okay in this situation. I, I appreciate that. So it was an opportunity to strengthen the relationship. Sometimes we can have this conversation and it doesn't go the way we want. I mean, we can't win them all, <laughs> as they say. It's the same thing here, but we can still learn through the process. And so it's an opportunity to learn. And then let's say we don't even learn anything new. It's still an opportunity to practice. It's a practice session, right? And if you're creative about it, you can see that opportunity and it's critical for us to see the opportunity because it'll lead us to actually engage in the conversations. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, How do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes.
1: Is that more like muscle memory then?
0: Yeah, I would say exactly, exactly. Because you don't want to rely on your discipline all the time to do the right decision. So you think about it just in terms of productivity and, and success. It's not necessarily a choice for those incredible athletes or people in business or whatever, they have created a system of habits where they don't need to decide anymore. It just happens automatically. Greatness happens automatically for them because they've taken the time to create these habits. And so when it comes to our difficult conversations, you don't want to have to decide the right thing to do, the right thing to say. The more you do it, you start to create these habits and it just happens automatically no matter what the situation is.
1: When the people look at, uh, I don't know, a, a Tom Brady, for an example, big, big W again, for what the seventh time, 17th time, who knows? Uh, but everybody kind of looks at him and says, man, he, he is the greatest, but what took him to get to the greatest was repetition, muscle memory, and then consistent improvements over time. And it wasn't just consistent improvements, right? It's, it's doing the right things, eating the right things, exercising the right way. I don't know why I keep bringing it back to athletics, but I just think there's such a similarity running parallel that uh, I really enjoy.
0: Yeah, and I think we can think about it more broadly in terms of competition too. I'm a, I'm a chess nerd, right? I love playing chess. And think about those, the, the people who are chess whizzes. That doesn't happen by accident. I, I've played 13,000 games on chess.com. I'm in the 90th percentile in chess.com. And I lose to 10-year-olds all the time you know they, they have taken a, a lot more time practicing in a diligent way with a coach and they know things that I do not know right how you does know, that make
1: you feel Kwame
0: humble <laughs> endlessly humble. yeah I, I believe
1: in the book you may or may not have called out a 10 year old I did it was uh it was humiliating
0: <laughs> but I tell you it just goes to show they've taken so much more time to, yeah. to practice in a different way I don't you know, I'm, I have a profession, That this is their profession. And so it's, it would be, it, it, it's not surprising that they end up where they are. And it's going to be the same with, with what we do. The, just the more time we spend doing these things, the better we're going to be. And I think this also speaks to the benefit of specialization too. What are the things within our, our craft that are the most important? What are the things that are going to give us the biggest payoff? We think about it strategically from like the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. What is the 20% that's going to give me the 80%, right? The disproportionate returns. And so we want to focus on those aspects of our lives, those aspects of our careers. And we want to focus intently on making those better because we're going to get a better payoff.
1: Cool. So why does failing to put yourself in those difficult situations make you actually weaker?
0: Yeah, it's, we're, we're not taking advantage of these growth opportunities. Um, let's go back to what you said about muscle memory, right? Because we're missing out on the opportunity to strengthen our, our habits, this habit of engagement that we've been working to, to build. Um, and then if you think about it from like an actual muscle, right? The more you exercise the muscle, as long as you're not you know, breaking it down, the stronger it will get. And so if you don't exercise that muscle, it'll, become, it'll begin to um, atrophy
1: but you but you actually have to you have to break it down to build it back up, right
0: exactly, so you have to break it down, just not tear it
1: yeah that, that's what I mean
0: <laughs> exactly but exactly. that is
1: uncomfortable, right. I mean, just kind of going back to you have to be uncomfortable productively uncomfortable to yep. be in the right spot
0: exactly, exactly, and that's the thing, Nick, because a lot of people make the mistake of feeling that discomfort and taking it as a signal that they're on the wrong path. You think about it in, in life, think about it in the gym. Ooh, that burns. I'm going to stop. Wait, that's where you want it to be. Right? TV
1: timeout Kwame. I'm done. The 15 pounders I'm done, man. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> so yeah, those are the things it, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but there's, there's no easy way around it. The more reps you get though, uh the, the better you'll be.
1: So what is the importance of replacing condemnation with curiosity?
0: Well, here's the thing. Condemnation, shame, those type of things, they are rarely persuasive. Mm. Think about the times where uh, somebody has shamed you and you said, wow, guess I'm on your side now. <laughs> right? No. It's,
1: it's never happened, never, Kwame. It
0: never happens, right? Because it creates a rift between you and the other yep. person. It's a barrier to persuasion. And so remember, there's a big difference between being right and being persuasive. If you shame somebody, you condemn them. Call them out aggressively those type of things. It doesn't matter even if you are correct If you have all the facts data logic reasoning all that stuff to prove the fact that you're correct If you approach it that way, they still won't give you what you want Just Mm -hmm. out of spite, you know, and so we have to recognize that and, and recognize there's a better way And that's why I want to really promote the compassionate curiosity framework
1: So why was having the license to fail the key to your success
0: yeah, and one thing we have to recognize when we talk about the license to fail, that's a license you have to give yourself. Because a lot of times, especially when we, as we get older, we, we're navigating our own lives. It might be our own desire for perfection or safety that prevents us from embracing failure. And so we brought up, for example, we have a, a new guy who's joining the team doing business development. And um, I'm I, one of the things I told him, I said, we you're doing a great job and you're we're winning right now but i need you to get more else i need you to get more losses because i want you to try new things and not all those things are going to be successful but when i recognize that they're not working then i know that you're taking that data in order to improve and that's what i did in order to get here too so you have to be able to take bigger risks so you can collect that data and then improve through the process
1: i actually heard a really interesting story um of Kobe Bryant and he was 10 years old and didn't score a single point in the entire season. And his dad came up to him and he just said, no matter if you score zero points in a game or 60, I still love you. And he's like, that gave me the license to fail. Like, I don't know if he actually said that, but he goes, I knew that if I failed, it was still okay. Yeah. And I love that because then obviously he went on to be the, One of the greatest basketball players ever but he it it changed his mind and his perspective on failing
0: yeah it's powerful it's powerful and we when we look at kobe all we think about is winning right but what we're seeing is that it's those failures that led to the man we saw on the court getting those championships
1: yeah he would never been into mamba mode if it wasn't for his failure exactly so I wrap up every podcast with two questions, and the first question is: What book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? So I'll put parameters around it, and then if you could leave a note to all the customer service or customer experience professionals, it's going to hit everybody's desk now Monday at 8 a.m. What would it say?
0: Okay, so I'm going to take a, I'm going to, I'm going to tweak the the first one just slightly, just like <laughs> I think I think you'll like. It. I think you like it so i'm assuming when you say this it's going to be you're assuming it's going to be somebody else or another book or something like that the person this is going to sound arrogant but just stay with me here okay got it yeah the person who influenced me the most was myself because i set a very aggressive goal so i remember when COVID uh hit in 2020 um for me my almost 100 of my income was based on me getting on planes, doing speaking engagements. And I was on a plane like almost every week. And uh, I remember in February saying to myself, man, things are going great. I see my calendar booked out to July. What Hmm. could possibly go wrong? you know, like a cartoon, right? (laughs) And so um, the whole calendar was cleared after like from March to July and I had to figure things out. My wife's a doctor. Her job is objectively more important than mine. So I had to be home with Kai and rely 100% on my team to to make things happen, even though no income was coming in. So I had to make sure they were getting paid um, while I take care of Kai and I can't get anything done. Yeah, I remember a very specific conversation with one of my best friends holding Kai very unproductive. I mean, I guess, you know, being a father is productive, but for business purposes, not understood. Um, I I remember holding, having this conversation and saying, Paul, I don't know how, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know for sure this situation will be the best thing that ever happened to my business. I don't know how, I don't have any ideas right now, Paul, but I guarantee you, I'm going to figure this thing out. And so I think just saying that and saying it publicly held myself to a higher standard. And if I didn't, then I I don't know if I would have performed as well because the company grew during the pandemic. After, you know, we recovered, we pivoted, we changed strategies. So that was really influential for me that year because I felt like I had to live up to that promise.
1: I I love that. And it wasn't as arrogant as I thought it was going to be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Okay. Thank you. laughs> no but but in all seriousness you know the, the 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 word of the year in 2020 was pivot right but if if you needed to find a way to adapt in the moment and change how you were going to market and the value that you're going to provide it was a different way and it, the I, I sent this in a message the other day to to a friend but i said how you let your reactions define you today because he was struggling with something and he was kind of throwing himself a little pity party. And he's like, man, I just need to get out of this. And I sent him a text and, and have been consistently sending him a text that now. And he's like, I needed that. And I think it's not just him. I think a lot of us need that. Like how, how will that, how will the way that we react today define us today and, and not just today, but into the future.
0: Right. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I, I think about the, um, you, you are what you do, the fact that you are what you do, right? Because you can say whatever you want about yourself, but your responses will dictate <laughs> who you really are. And even more specifically, we are what we do regularly, right? Yeah. So we, we have to recognize that our actions matter. And through the process of taking action, we are creating ourselves. Life is about creating yourself, not discovering yourself.
1: Absolutely. So, do you remember remember the second question, or do you want me to repeat yes. repeat it?
0: So, the the thing that I would give customer service professionals right now: um, simple note, listen more, speak less.
1: Boom. That's it. Mic drop right there.
0: <laughs>
1: so, Kwame, let my listeners know about your podcast and how they can get in touch with you.
0: Yeah, so negotiate anything is the name of the podcast. The American Negotiation Institute is the company. So if you're interested in a negotiation or conflict resolution training, check that out. Um, and then I'm always on LinkedIn, um, sharing hopefully helpful <laughs> tips and and uh, tricks and all that stuff. I I had a I used to have a you know, a promise for everybody. I said, Hey, listen, everybody that I connect with, I will send you a message. We could even chat and all that stuff, I promise. And I will keep that promise as long as I can. I can no longer keep that promise. <laughs> <laughs> but we can interact with the comments. I, I tried my best.
1: <laughs> That's all you can do, man, is try your best. Kwame, I really appreciate your time. It's been a blast.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1forNick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review,
0: and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org For more resources,